0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 205 of Some Like It's Got. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're reviewing the mystery comedy film directed by Tom George, starring Saoirse and Sam Rockwell. That is See How They Run. But before we get to that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, we were both talking before we started recording how we've seen Broadway plays slash musicals recently, so... I guess we could have a musical corner here for a couple seconds before we start. We normally have sports, but we've we'll pushed yeah. that aside for, for the crowd today and talk about musicals.
1: Yeah, um, sure. I mean, I, I one one good thing about being here in Charlotte is I, I guess I did have the opportunity in, in Winston-Salem when I lived there, but I um, didn't really take advantage of it that they, yeah. they have the big new theater in Greensboro. But um, I live pretty close here to the Performing Arts Center here in Charlotte where they have um, the touring Broadway um, stuff, um, which obviously is, is appealing to me. You know, I, I love the couple of Broadway things that I've been to. Um, one that I went to with you, Scott, David Burns show. And then one yeah. I went to several years ago, I definitely um, enjoyed the big Broadway productions. Um, so it's nice to have that there. I got to see to kill a mockingbird here. Um, a couple of months ago in Charlotte when that came through. And then this past, a couple weeks ago, they did mean girls, um, which um, is, of course, based based on the film. came came after the film. But Tina Fey doing the book um, for that. Obviously, she read the film, um, and original songs. I'm not sure by who. Um, I enjoyed it, Scott. Um, it was, you know, the the book itself. I think was the the highlight for sure. And it, you know, makes sense with Tina Fey being there and writing it. Um, it it was very true to the original, which you know, very true to the film which uh i appreciated because to kill a mockingbird, bird i did not feel like was very true to the source material but um that's another matter but um mean girls yeah it, it was you know it kept a lot of the classic jokes that everyone knows and loves from the movie and but also added some new stuff that i thought was really funny and new scenes between some of the characters so i enjoyed it overall and i'm looking forward to the next few shows um you know they're they're gonna have Hades Town. Um, and Les Miz um, coming up fairly soon and then in December the one that I'm most excited for is Jagged Little Pill which is the Alanis Morissette musical because yeah. I really wanted to see that in New York um, but unfortunately it had closed by the last time uh, I came up there so...
0: yeah Jagged Little Pill is funny <coughs> that started in Boston we were talking about another musical that started in Boston the one that I saw this past weekend um, that one started in Boston I had a friend invite me to go see a preview of it like before it even started um wow. and i ended up not being able to make it because of work um mm. classic old job working long hours mm. and yeah. so i never saw it either and but it's it's funny to because i remember all like the the fervor around it in yeah. boston as it was like starting previews and stuff and then had its limited run before it you know eventually went to broadway which i think was always probably the plan but yeah, I mean it's exciting. It, I, I think it's cool. I always remember my mom talking about how in Chattanooga they have the rotating um, my, uh, tours as well. Not as maybe not as juicy of a list of performances, but my parents, cool.
1: yeah, my parents had the season tickets for that for a couple of years. Um, yeah, they they dropped them this year because they just weren't going as much. But sure. yeah, I mean they saw they saw Les Mis, they saw Waitress, they saw the Carol King musical, Jersey Boys. They went to recently. Um, and I think they are going to go to the temptations one pretty cool soon, whatever musical. So yeah, it, maybe not. I mean, you know, I mean, they got Les Mis, which is about as big as it gets, I guess. So um, Definitely. They yeah. did get some big ones.
0: Yeah. And I saw Moulin Rouge this weekend. I I was joking before that I, I've never seen the film, the Baz Luhrmann film, because I'm like 0 for 3 on Baz movies. So I don't really feel like the need yeah. to continue to torture myself with them. Yeah. Um But the musical was a lot of fun. The story is, you know, if you're not familiar, is exactly what you'd expect. It's not quite Romeo and Juliet, but it's that flavor of, you know, star-crossed lover kind of thing, not being able to work out because of societal reasons. Um, I find those stories fairly boring, but the music, the jukebox musical nature of it and mashing up songs together that have similar themes um, was really good. There was a Bad Romance, Toxic, um, Sweet Dreams, and a couple other songs mashup that was that was a classic, which I believe was new for the musical. Um, yeah. And then there's obviously the ones from the film that the musical is based on as well, that they sort of pumped up with some fresher songs as well. Funny, because that the Lord was like right at the end of my period of time where I was actually listening to music, uh, at least when she got big. So anyway, Moulin Rouge would recommend it if you're in New York and wanting a crowd pleaser. Um, so, yeah, it was good. It yeah. was good. But musicals, not the topic of conversation today, unless I you know, really missed something in the film we're about to talk about. Uh, the, as I already mentioned, See How They Run is going to be the topic of conversation today. It's directed by Tom George and starring Sam Rockwell as Inspector Stoppard and Sear Ronan as Constable Stalker, who are both put on a murder case after a sleazy American Hollywood film director visiting the London set of an Agatha Christie play called The Mousetrap and is set to adapt that popular stage play into a film, but things quickly go off the rails when one night after the 100th performance celebration, that director, played by Adrian Brody, is murdered. The world-weary Inspector Stoppard and the rookie police constable Stalker find themselves in the midst of a puzzling Agatha Christie-style whodunit, full of laughs um, and a little bit of drama, but mostly... Uh, a lot of mystery and trying to figure out who in the cast of characters that are in this Agatha Christie play and their uh, immediate surrounding friends and family could have killed the director. Scott, did this knives out, like flavored mystery comedy, please you in the same way that Ryan Johnson's original did back a couple years ago? Or did this Agatha Christie comedy mashup? leave you a little bit confused as to what the purpose was
1: so there are already all kinds of easter eggs all over that you know plot summary you can tell there and scott i've actually seen the mouse trap in london um Mm -hmm. i went with my parents several years back when i was studying abroad there Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah you know it's your classic drawing room who done it but you know to to talk about the easter eggs like i said tom stoppard uh who people might be familiar with the playwright um wrote a play. I forget even what the name of it is, but he wrote a play that's like a parody of The Mousetrap, basically. And, of course, you know, um, Sam Rockwell's character goes by the name of Stoppard here. Um, the Corrigan family becomes very important to the story in this film, and Corrigan is also the um, name of the family that's central to The Mousetrap. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's one of those kind of winky movies, for sure. And in general, it's, it's winking at you about the structure and the, the you know sort of um stereotypical nature of a lot of these agatha christie style drawing room who done and you know we've already had one this year with death on the nile um, it seems like maybe this is a genre that's trying to make a comeback probably possibly in the wake of knives out being such a success when it came out but um mm-hmm. you know you have what Bran, kenneth brand is doing with the uh, um agatha christie direct adaptations you have something like this for example um, and then of course we have glass onion the knives out sequel that's coming out later this year <clears throat> um and you know it's a fun genre scott these are the types of novels that i grew up reading i read a lot of agatha christie in like middle and high school um and i've always had a fondness for sort of the murder mystery genre um i think we both both do to be honest but um yeah, and I think this is a solid example of it on the whole. Um, you know, Scott, last week, I think this might have been off air, but I was musing that um, I-, I wondered if this movie was going to get overshadowed a little bit by Glass Onion um, coming out, you know, before the end of the year and that um, this movie was going to kind of steal any thunder that this might have had. Because, you know, Scott, this is a Searchlight movie. You know, it's it's produced by Disney. It's... Um, got big names in it, right? You know, Oscar-winning and Oscar-nominated actors you're, you're naming there. Um, it, in, in another life, it could have been a big sort of um, holiday season movie. Like I could see this being like what Murder on the Orient Express was, for example, like coming out around Christmas time and being something that you go with your family to. But I do wonder if Glass Onion being on the horizon, like maybe deterred them from that a little bit. And I have to say on the whole, while I did enjoy this movie, I did have a fun time with it. Um, I would not be surprised at all if my prediction comes true and that um, this movie kind of, um, you know, gets forgotten about in the wake of, of Glass Onion coming out, just based on the reviews we've seen so far of uh, for Glass Onion. Um, I, I think this movie is, again, it's it's a fun 98 minutes or so that um, it, it was in, in running. Um, but... I think much like the mousetrap, the play itself, um, I'm not sure whether it really has a lot of staying power or a lot of, you know, reason that you're going to come back to it, right? It, it pretty much is dependent on you, you know, the, the central mystery. And once you kind of know what happened, once you find out what, you know, the, the solution to the mystery is in the end, like i said i'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot that's bringing you back to this movie the characters themselves are fun enough um you know there's there's a nice buddy cop dynamic between um sam rockwell as like the sort of gruff and um you know rumpled inspector and um saoirse ronan as the very eager um you know quick on quick on the draw um police officer um and, you know, it's a fun dynamic one we've seen before, maybe, but it's still it's fun here with these performers. Um, and it's it's nicely directed. You know, I think. Obviously, um,
0: the he gets out of the uh, way, Tom George gets out of the way of this movie. I'd say.
1: Well, to to some extent, I was going to say the director, which does come to mind a little bit is Wes Anderson, um, not just because this movie has um, Adrian Brody, multiple actors from the cast of Grand Budapest Hotel in it. But um but it also has some sort of visual flourishes, some like these split screen things that yeah. happen multiple times throughout the movie. That's um, true. There's one, there's one shot where um, Sam Rockwell and Sir Ronan go to like I, – I forget even where they are, but it's – so there's a line of people who are lined up for auditions, basically, and it pans all the way across their faces, like the uh, of all the people, and then at the end you see Sam. And I was like, that is the most Wes Anderson shot, like the way that that is done. um It's like tracking shot across all their faces, and then you just see our character sitting there at the end. So it does borrow from Wes Anderson. It's not like a a rip off or whatever. um You know, a lot most directors are borrowing from somebody. So I'm not. I don't mean that to be a criticism. Like. Wes Anderson's one of the best directors working. So um if you're gonna borrow from somebody, he's a good person to borrow from. I think they're going anyway, to
0: see uh, Petula, the 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 like play, the theater director or whatever.
1: Right, okay, yeah. Um
0: yeah. Chu, as she was called.
1: Petula, yeah. Um Ruth Wilson's character. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. um It's an unexceptional movie, unfortunately, I think on the whole. And I I think some of that is just, like I was saying, the nature of it being this sort of Agatha Christie style drawing room who done it is that these things just don't necessarily have a lot of staying power. Um, It's maybe a weakness of, you know, this sort of subgenre of mysteries, unfortunately. Um, I I wasn't super enthused with the actual solution to the mystery either. Um, I feel like And again, this might be sort of a hallmark of the genre, but I feel like um, it withholds some information from you that you would need to perhaps actually be able to figure it out on your own. And I don't appreciate—I don't—I don't don't usually appreciate that type of mystery. Like I like—I prefer the ones where all the clues are there in the movie for you to put together, uh, but because of the misdirection of the filmmaker, whoever, you don't really see it until. You know, all the pieces get put together in in that that ending. Um, that's not really what happened happens here. I, I, I mean, to some extent, it does. There are some details, but I feel like you would uh, you'd have to be taking some big logical leaps if you were are able to actually put it together before the identity of the murderer is revealed. So that was a little bothersome as well. But I had a fun time with it, Scott. I went to see this yesterday, Saturday afternoon. It's a fine way to spend a Saturday afternoon it's yeah. a nice movie you could like take your parents to right there's nothing objectionable there's there's no sort of um offensive uh offensive content or anything like that it's just a it's a nice pleasant saturday afternoon murder mystery and it, it's fine to get that because i feel like they're probably it, it you know there probably aren't enough of those types of movies nowadays i i mean i say that again even though i think they're having a little bit of a a comeback but um you know, I think we need these types of movies as much as we need, you know, big blockbusters and everything.
0: Yeah, I think the the, the one word, and, and you were, I think you were sort of getting at this in the last parts of what you were saying just there, that the one word that comes to mind for me when I was walking out of this movie is just like, this, this movie is just like, inoffensive. Like, it is just such a yeah. straight down the middle. It is not trying to do anything special. It takes you on a 95-minute little jaunt about... about london and has some interesting characters although i think it's it doesn't necessarily hit a home run in that department in my opinion either um yeah but it was it was a good time like i thought i thought it was funny i laughed quite a bit in the movie um the dramatic elements of it like you're sort of saying I, i did find a bit disappointing i did think Although disappointing, the like end of the movie being foreshadowed near the beginning, I thought it was like, okay, I laughed. like That was kind of funny that um, they did that, although a bit eye-rolly. So I don't know if that's necessarily a positive or negative. I laughed at it, but I'm not sure if it was a positive or a negative that that happened. Um,
1: yeah, they try to do like a meta thing, you know, of like, uh, I was mentioning winking yeah. a lot. But, you know, they, they, they're like, it's almost like a scream type. Oh, we're acknowledging that these are the tropes of the genre, but yeah. also we're still going to be that thing that you expect with maybe a little bit of a twist on it. Like it's all, yeah. it's all sort of mirroring the debate that Adrian Brody's character and David, a who plays the screenwriter are having about like, what is this yeah. type of story supposed to look like in a contemporary era?
0: Yeah. In and, in a Hollywood film. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's definitely some stuff going on there. It doesn't run very deep. In my opinion, it'd been really yeah. interesting if they took a more hard nosed line on, Debating what the that that sort of point a little bit and, and fleshing that out a little bit more around the sensibilities of making movies in Hollywood around the genre. But at the end of the day, yeah, it was just inoffensive. Like, no one's gonna hate the Like, I don't think anyone's gonna hate this movie. I don't think anyone's gonna love this movie. It's just like, but it's a perfectly good way. Uh, yeah, no, I've I, seen a I, couple I people who have loved it, but uh, but oh, actually, it, I was gonna it's... say, I guess I saw someone on Letterboxd today who hated it. So, Oh, I really? I no,
1: I, I've seen a couple people who have loved it, but um, it's I'll just say it, you're talking about it being down the middle. It is down the middle for these people who loved it. So,
0: yeah, it, it's a very vanilla movie and there's nothing yeah. wrong with something being vanilla. You can enjoy that, but it is what it is like. It, it doesn't wow, I don't think. And in, in any department, unfortunately, but that, again, I had a good time. I didn't, I did not enjoy it. Um, I was seeing the film with, with Karen and she fell asleep in the middle of it. So that's probably all you need to, all you need to yeah. know about it. it. Well, that's,
1: that's the thing. It, if, if you don't like drawing room who done just don't watch it because it doesn't do anything new to the genre. It, I yeah. mean, it just, it just is one of those. Mm-hmm. If you do like, like those, you're going to enjoy it because it is one of those and it's, you know, yeah. it's a well executed one.
0: Yeah, and, and the most to to your point about the knives out comparison, it's probably not fair. I mean, we're talking about Tom George directing and Mark yeah. Chappell writing, comparing to Ryan Johnson, who, you know, may, maybe in this parish we're higher on Ryan Johnson than most people are. But you're talking about like one of one of the real writer director auteurs that exists today, currently. Um, and yes, he's he's making a drawing room mystery with knives out, but he's doing a lot to subvert the genre, and he's being really clever about it
1: um sure i just mean yeah. in the minds of the average movie goer they might associate the the two movies as being somewhat similar just because.
0: oh yeah no no so, I, yeah. I i a thousand percent agree and if mm-hmm. i and if i told someone about the movie and like we're trying to write and think that they would like it i would be like oh did you like knives out like i think you'll like this movie yeah kind of thing um yeah and it, it's just like one of those things where like it's it's having debates like we were talking about in, in the film like lightly but like ryan johnson's like really trying to really trying to turn things upside down and um and really come about this genre from a different angle and i'm curious what he does with glass onion because it sounds like he's continuing to do something if not a different flavor i think it's a different flavor from the first one but he's doing something there as well it seems like so it's, it's exciting in that sense and you know i've never heard of tom george before no idea who he is scott i don't know if, if you know it all but I,
1: I wonder if he has a background in theater of any sort because um you know, it, it does have a sort that's of that's exactly
0: what I was about to say. Actually,
1: theatrical feel. I mean, the, yeah. the setting of the movie. Obviously, I recognized um, Lucian Masmati, who plays the the guy that is at Agatha Christie's house later in the movie. I forget. I don't even know what the character's name is, but Max, he um, he's a theater actor. I actually saw him in a play in when I was in England. Um, so I, I don't know if, and maybe some of the other people in the cast are too. Um, but
0: that that's kind of the impression
1: I got from watching this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me either, to be honest. But, Scott, you mentioned that the the direction of it had some flair, had some Wes Anderson vibes to it at certain points. So and you mentioned this as well. It has some Wes Anderson actors and actresses in the film, Scott. I mean, Sam Rockwell probably is the lead of this movie, but Saoirse Ronan, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel, you mentioned earlier. Lady Bird, of course, probably what she's uh, most famous for at this point. Little Women as well. And Adrian Brody another sort of Wes Anderson, you know, cornerstone playing a little bit more than a cameo, but not too much more than a cameo um, in this movie. Scott, what did you think of these, you know, three performances? Were they able to sort of anchor the film and get and sort of lure you in? Because Adrian Brody is sort of the lead for the first, you know, five to ten minutes of the movie. And then it flips over to Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan. Were Were these good anchors for this type of film? Did they? did they get you engaged and hold you throughout or did it leave something to be desired?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I was a little disappointed at first. I mean, you know, I am an Adrian Brody fan and um, uh, you know, he gets killed in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Um, And I was like, well, dang, like, is that all we're going to see of him? Because it was, it's a fun, I mean, it's a fun role. Like it's a perfect role for him. I feel like as like the dirtbag uh, American director. Um,
0: where's Paul Schrader, get the, get Paul Schrader, get, get Adrian Brody a movie. (laughs)
1: yeah um and but then he died i mean he does show but then he does show up in some you know flash some flashbacks. Later, yeah. so he gets yeah. he gets uh he gets some sc- more screen time there but um yeah i don't know that his character left a sort of left laugh- lasting impact on me i think it is all about probably those those two leads um mm-hmm. i think they are fun i think saoirse ronan is the standout probably for me um you know, I think she just gets the livelier role for one. I mean, Sam Rockwell's kind of like just because of his character is kind of slouching around and mumbling. Yeah, and, I, I know, found Sam Rockwell's
0: character really <laughs> lackluster.
1: It, it doesn't. I mean, it's it's trying to be sort of, a, you know, the quirky investigator, but it doesn't have anything like a Benoit Blanc, for example, like that.
0: But he's not quirky it, at all.
1: Would, would endear you to him. Like, yeah. it, it's not endearing in the way that, that Benoit Blanc is, I guess, is the word. He's
0: just I mean. a drunk. He's just like a sad drunk. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, I don't, I don't disagree, but yeah, Saoirse Ronan. I, I like, I'm glad that she was in this type of movie because it seems like every movie she's in nowadays is like big heavy hitter, like Oscar contender or whatever. I mean, she's been nominated for four Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. I don't even think, I don't think she's even 30 years old yet. Um, so she's, you know, obviously extremely talented. One of the best actresses work today, if not the best um, but she doesn't get to do enough of these sort of throwaway movies where she gets to have some fun. And this is definitely one of those. Like she's definitely happy. I'm sure she had some fun making this. um, and it feels like it's been a while since we've seen her do that. Um, and I think she's you know she does this sort of overeager uh, cop who, you know, sort of ends up stumbling into the, the right solution um, through sheer persistence. um she she does that sort of trope very well and with a lot of energy and, um, you know, c- comedic timing, like, you know, the, the humor didn't necessarily make me laugh out loud or anything, but um, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of um, humor that can that can be mined and was mined from from her character, so um, I, I didn't have a problem with, with any of the three performances, I mean, I always enjoy Sam Rockwell as well, even if his character was a little bit of a dud, um, but again mem from a memorability standpoint there's nothing like on a benoit blanc level for example that is like yeah i i want to see you know these characters again in another mystery like i I couldn't care less about that to be honest
0: or even a hercule poirot to give i know it's not a comedy film but like other agatha christie source material type stuff like i mean i
1: want to see more of those movies just because i really enjoy watching kenneth branagh as that character so
0: yeah, and and it's like, oh well, some people might be like, oh well, it's Kenneth Branagh, but I'm like, uh, like Sam Rockwell, Sear Sharon, and Adrian Brody. These are like very capable actors, more accomplished
1: actors than Kenneth Branagh, arguably. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. I mean, I think that's fair to say. So it's it's not like they they were short on talent in the film, but I I did feel like the film was short on character, um, in in that department, you know, beyond just <clears throat> what you were saying there with Sear Sharonins um who who i think is definitely the more endearing of the two she certainly has her flaws but she's putting herself out there in more of a way that i think you can get to, can get you engaged as an audience and she's just such a capable actress that she's able to sort of really make any type of role there um charming and endearing i think it's just sort of her her nature like you can see where she's making mistakes you know jumping the gun you know jumping to conclusions as as stopper tells her multiple times but it's it's not in a way that will, you know, upset, upset anyone, right? It's going it's going to endear her to you, in my opinion. And yeah, Adrian Brody does. It was so strange because I knew that, I mean, I knew that Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan were the leads of this movie. So it was very strange when Adrian Brody starts narrating the beginning of the film. And I was like, what's happening here? Um, but, uh, you know, the ultimate resolution there for him is, you know, getting off in the first five, 10 minutes. Made a lot of sense, but was unfortunate because I, I think it's your, your effervescent love right now for Adrian Brody is making me... Um, residually more positive on him Um, not that I have a reason to not be positive just you know I'm not as familiar necessarily with this body of work so I was disappointed to not also be getting horror of Adrian Brody because to be fair I mean those three actors are considerably more accomplished um, than the rest of the cast you know you do have people like Ruth Wilson who was already mentioned briefly earlier who plays um, Petula Spencer who I I think she's the director of the of the play of the Mousetrap or I, th- I think I'm forgetting who's who's who and and some of these things. Yeah, has, uh, yeah. Or she, she, she definitely was like, like that. the yeah. the auditions thing that you were mentioning earlier. She's like seen auditions for another play she's going to do, or she's helping put on or something. So she's like casting that. So I assume that she has something to do with putting the play on. That's Ruth Wilson's character. Um, Reese Shearsmith plays John Wolfe, real life film producer um, from Hollywood. Harris Dickinson of you know, where the crawdads sing earlier this Playing summer, Richard Attenborough, plays yeah. Richard Attenborough um, in the film can talk about him if you want. And then, yeah, you mentioned David Oyelowo. Again, I'd, I'd say he sort of rounds out the sort of immediate supporting cast as Merv, who is both the is basically adapting this play um to the film, um, to the big screen. And he has, you know, some contention with, you know, John Wolf. Reese Shearsmith's character and Leo, uh, Kopernik, who is Adrian Brody's director, and that's obviously a, a plot point. And the film Scott. Any of those sort of main supporting performances also do anything for you? Harris Dickinson having a real moment.
1: People are really trying to convince us that he's a thing um, because he's also going to be in Triangle of Sadness, of course, yeah. the uh, the Palm Dor winner that's coming out.
0: I would uh, say that's his best chance, Scott, because I'd say he's yeah
1: honestly, no, as far as the supporting cast goes, Scott. You know, I think um, I think maybe uh, David O'Yellow is like the most colorful character here. Um, sure. Like, you know, he's kind of a little over the top, like um, very um, mannered uh, screenwriter who obviously, again, is clashing with the sort of the freewheeling nature of, uh, of Adrian Brody's director, but they didn't really do that much with sort of the odd couple stuff there. And, you know, I guess we can spoiler alert at this point, he gets killed. So, um, you know, there's only so much that he can bring to the movie when he's the second two thirds of the way through. So, um, so yeah, unfortunately they were just kind of, you know, I mean, again, it is, it is kind of the nature of these, um, drawing room mysteries is you introduce all these characters to them and like really the only importance to them uh of the plot in in the movie is you know where are they the killer or not and the movie isn't really interested in establishing them or developing them as characters beyond you know diverting your suspicions to them maybe for a moment um and and then you know otherwise in the the end they're just there's somebody they're they're another body to be sitting there in the drawing room when the detective announces the solution of the mystery. So um, yeah. they all fulfilled the roles, I guess, admirably. But yeah, again, no one's super memorable here.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. It's like, I think they all played their parts. But again, those parts are not necessarily elevated in a way that are that's going to do anything that's going to make you remember them in a couple weeks' time. Certainly not by the time you're probably watching Glass Onion, which is, you know, still months away. So it's un- it's unfortunate. Um, th- it felt like there's opportunity because, there th- again, there are some colorful characters there. You mentioned Merv as as one of them. But, again, it, it, I was going to say it's because the cast is so large. But the cast isn't even that big, really. It's just there's not much yeah. happening for the cast outside of the the inspector and the constable. So not really a time to sort of spread your wings too much. There's moments of comedy that they try to play for some of these characters, especially Harris Dickinson. In the last couple scenes, he gets to sort of play a bit of a kind of a dunce in a way, which is kind of weird, like Richard Attenborough being portrayed this way. It's like kind of strange, in my opinion. Um, also, the Agatha Christie,
1: um, what was going on there with that performance? Was that is that supposed to be what she sounded like in real life? Like, do we have. Audio i was gonna ask her or something well scott i was gonna That's, ask you that yeah frankly frankly i don't know but uh i saw somebody say it sounded like babu Frigg. and i was <laughs> like i mean not far off honestly that the you know she she's not in the movie for the for very much but does make an appearance at the end and the actress again i'm not, I'm not sure what her name was but um doing some very odd stuff with with the voice and everything there
0: um who is the actress i don't know i didn't recognize
1: choices were made it wasn't anyone notable i don't think
0: yeah i'm just trying to google it right now and i don't even see i'd have to open up an article to try to figure it out i'm not going to um yeah i mean she's in the movie for like five minutes maybe at most um, it should have
1: been somebody bigger. I feel like, like they, well, I that's, feel like
0: that's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. I felt kind of stupid when I didn't recognize her. Because so there was like half a second where I was like, "Is that a Melda Staunton?" But I'm like, "No, okay, that's not a Melda Staunton." Yeah, that wouldn't have been a bad choice. Um, yeah, the Queen, the <laughs> the Christie, the <laughs> the yeah. Queen. Um, real. I, also, separately from that, very funny that they have Professor Umbridge becoming the Queen in the Crown. Like very, very funny to me. Um, but we can move on past that. Yes, that that was very strange. Harris Dickinson's performance and characterization of Richard Edmund was also very strange in that scene. I mean also Agatha Christie, complete dunce, apparently, because she can't even get the right cup of tea that she's poisoned for yeah. for the killer in this room. So not a good look for Agatha either, to be honest. So you know Well, look, this is a woman
1: who this is a woman who spent most of her life writing a character who she professed many times that she hated. So maybe that's enough to drive someone crazy and maybe you don't about Praro? Is, is that who you're talking about this yeah yeah
0: she <laughs> i mean i guess if it's making you money it's a it's a real stockholm syndrome type situation yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh what are you gonna do you, there's a whole host of other people that have minor roles in this Cut. frankly i don't know if any of them really matter we can talk about one just because you, he, you know he, this character is the ultimate killer we haven't actually talked about the killer the killer yet, so full spoilers here if you are trying to still see how they run. Um, But Charlie Cooper plays Dennis, who is an usher at the Mousetrap film, and it turns out he is the killer. Um, You know, you mentioned earlier that they're hiding the eight ball a little bit on letting you really piece together who the killer might actually be. I think that it is, the, the information is mostly there for the taking, but the the things that you really need to finally fit the the whole story together is stuff that is just so fleetingly passed over earlier on in the movie. Like, you don't have a really chance to, like, absorb the information that's put in front of you to actually be able to piece those things together with, like, the newspaper clippings, et cetera, in the apartment of Merv. Which I think, is that kind of what you were referring to as well the eight ball? Uh,
1: yeah, it, it's just, I mean, all that stuff is there, again. You know, they they make a point of showing you, like, well he's kind of there for a lot of these conversations right sure. like yeah. that a lot of these sort of pivotal conversations that happen you could guess
0: it was him of, but you wouldn't know why it was
1: you wouldn't know yeah. why exactly yeah. like and, and you can all you you can also like know again just from watching the movie that there's obviously it's based on a true story and all this you know type of thing but there's nothing that would make you connect those yeah. two things together um and that was kind of where it um it was a little unsatisfying for me at the end because i like that you know I, I love that who doesn't love that that final moment of like when it gets revealed and then you see how it was done throughout the entire movie and i was like well it wasn't really like yeah sure i see these moments now or whatever but even if i had noticed them the first time around would i really have been able to put this together probably yeah. not um and it's like the so opposite just red
0: sparrow where most of the film was like <laughs> not very good at all but had a really great like here is everything that you need to know moment at the end of the film well, that
1: that's a movie that i haven't thought about in a
0: long time yeah.
1: uh red sparrow wow um yeah so so for me i mean you know results may vary that's just the type of mystery and film that i appreciate more um is you know the ones like you know the famous example this isn't a drawing room mystery but the sixth sense right the sixth sense has everything you need in the movie to figure out what the ending is. And yet for, you know, over 20 years now, people have been fooled by the ending of The Sixth Sense because of what a great job M. Night Shyamalan does of misdirecting you. Um, That I think is, you know, a a great example of the type of twist ending, mystery solution, whatever, um, that I appreciate
0: more than
1: what they did here.
0: Francis Lawrence is directing the new Hunger Games
1: movie. I assume that's that's what it was. Maybe I, I guess that's what it was. Yeah,
0: I mean maybe he's doing something else too. But I, I'm pretty sure yeah. they're bringing him back for the then that prequel, Ballad yeah, of Songbirds so. and Snakes or whatever. Right. Um. Yes. Yeah. Look, this is no the sixth sense. That's for sure. Um. Charlie Cooper plays this character. I don't know. Like I didn't really. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on this. I didn't really like the resolution I wasn't over the moon about it. it fine enough I felt like it it didn't it wasn't so egregious that I was like well there's just like no way right um it it wasn't so over the top about that in that department but I definitely didn't feel like I had a fair chance necessarily like I could like I guess like we always said I could have guessed it was him but I wouldn't have known why exactly I wouldn't have been able to explain to anyone why it was him um, yeah. Charlie Cooper's performance was was fine. He doesn't really have much screen time to be fair to make an impression. Um, it is very much a
1: but by, by design. I mean uh, that. Oh yeah. The point. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very underexposed in the film before the final, the final few, the final few scenes. Um, and really, that's the end of the movie, Scott. I don't really. I'm. Mean, I'll be honest. I don't really know how much more there is to talk about. There is the sort of the meta element yeah, of everything going on that we could reference. There, you know, we did talk about the the sort of foreshadowed nature early on where Leo Capernic which again is Adrian Brody's director is having this argument with David Oyelowo's Merv screenwriter and talking about how whether they should be making a traditional drawing room type murder mystery for the big screen or if they should be having essentially a shootout and some explosions at the end of the movie in this sort of climactic moment where the killer has taken another hostage and the you know the detective um, the hero is confronting him with a gun and you know, things happen, et cetera, and it has this sort of like tragic, heroic ending to the film. Um Scott, I, I think that there are moments for both of those types of endings. Um, this film proceeds to have the latter, uh, with that with, and it is, of course, as you said at the beginning, winking and nodding um at it. It's definitely tongue in cheek in a way. Um in a drawing room mystery, like if you're if you're gonna do something interesting with that sort of final showdown it'd be fine to have it but um the commentary of course is that most people who are doing it are just doing it because it's popular not because they're doing anything interesting with it of course scott did you have any sort of reactions or thoughts to this sort of maybe like one deeper theme to the film existential as it might be given our current times (laughs) yeah i
1: didn't even really think about that too much to be honest. because i was i was just gonna say like it's winking and nodding but that feels like it's all it's due uh, that's all it's doing it's just winking it the doesn't like it doesn't have anything to say
0: really yeah yeah exactly
1: and, and you know even in the end there okay so it ends up ending with a shootout right which is what adrian brody's character was at uh, was advocating for and then there's a little line like a little joke like oh well it's a good thing that merv or whatever his name was david O'Yellowo, wasn't around to see this yeah because it did end with a shootout and that's it right like that that's basically the payoff for all that sort of commentary that we you know, meta stuff that we've had during the movie is like, well, we decided that the shootout is the better way to end the movie. Um, And nothing really, you know, no real position on that, no deeper commentary, like you were saying. It's just kind of, you know, thrown in there at the end for sort of a very weak payoff of of almost a joke uh,
0: that they say there. So. Well, the funny not part really, is kind of when this film bombs, they can say that the shootout didn't work because, and it would have been better if it had had a, a more traditional murder mystery ending. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Maybe, maybe they're, uh, they were doomsday prepping already. But I, I mean, you know, there, there's also just some like eye rolly stuff of like, um, what do you want us to put in the script three weeks, uh, you know, a card saying three weeks later. And then it says three weeks later on the screen. And it's like, Oh, ha, 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 ha. like that, yeah. that stuff is just kind of a little on the nose.
0: I think that, yeah, I think the issue is that they did, they did that type of thing a few too many times to have like any sort of. Yeah. Like it was, it was a bit and a gimmick more than it was a cleverly thought out joke at some point. You yeah. know what I mean? Too repetitive. Maybe. All right, Scott. Uh, anything else you want to mention, or should we enter a wrap up? We can wrap up. All right, wrap up for us. Where uh, in the film was your favorite scene or moment?
1: Oh, that's a good question. How many scenes or moments do I really remember from the? Movie? I know. I, I really, I really jumped
0: yesterday. this question on you. I know you probably weren't expecting it. I apologize. Um,
1: I do like the. I, I do like the beginning of the movie with Adrian Brody, just kind of. Sure being a, a, a slime ball. I think he does that well. Um,
0: you know, that's kind of his his role in the Wes Anderson films to some extent as well. Um, and he does have the so, funny moment where he runs toward the exit, opens the door, and it's the brick wall. That was...
1: Yes, yes. No, that that, that actually... I'm glad you mentioned that scene because I like that whole scene in general because they're in like... Yeah. It's like kind of a chase-type situation, mm-hmm. but they're in like a theater prop department, yeah. basically. So there's a couple times where... Well, he he picks up uh that something and it's rubber, a rubber. It's like a yeah, it's an yeah. axe and it's rubber, and then he runs away. I yeah, think he he thinks he you know finds the exit, but it's just a door leading to a brick wall. So you know that was fun. That was clever. That again, that was almost like a Wes Anderson style chase scene a little bit.
0: Yeah, it wasn't animated though. That'd made it real no. Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Adrian Brody getting animated, smashed in the head with a sewing machine or whatever it was that was being used. That'd have been real. That'd been full Wes, full yeah. send. Yeah, for me, I probably would have leaned towards that opening scene too, but I'll I'll try to be different. I think that um, finding a, a couple scenes later, or maybe the next scene later, I don't know. Um, when Constable Stalker, which is Sierra Ronan's character, is is sort of waiting on the inspector to arrive, and Sam Rockwell's like not like banging on the door, trying to get inside, and she's telling him to go away, and then eventually does it, opens the door and just smashes him in the face. That was pretty funny. Uh, I found that to be funny. Um, but yeah, probably that opening scene for me, if I really had to pick, I think it's fair to say that like a lot, a lot of the style of the film and a lot of like the cleverness of the film, I think evaporates a little bit after that first scene. I I do think that the film, this sounds way too negative, but the film does kind of peak in the first, in the first scene, I'd say, um, in terms of its actual cinematic flavor, but then, you know, you're just entering sort of a very. You know, this could have been a play type environment, maybe um, from there on out. Um, But, you know, maybe that makes sense because it kind of was a play. But there you go. Yeah. All right, Scott, out of 10, what are you giving? See how they run. 7.0. It was perfectly fine. All right. 6-4 from me. Um, inoffensive. I don't mean that in a bad way. It is like Scott said at the beginning. I think it is a perfectly fine way to burn an hour and a half or so. Um you know, on a Saturday afternoon or a week or a weeknight, um, if you have some free time and some willingness to go to the theater, I'm sure this will be on Disney or Hulu, um, Disney Plus or Hulu, in two months. I wouldn't be so. surprised if
1: it does quite well on streaming too. But yeah, it's not going to make anything in theater. Oh,
0: a hundred percent. I think I think exactly for the reason that you were just talking about there. Like, it's inoffensive. It has big yeah. en- recognizable stars and. There's nothing that's going to get you to turn this film off, really, unless you're just not into the genre. Um, So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it picks up if it picks up some steam. Um, I think it probably depends a little bit on how much marketing they put behind it, um, how much they, you know, sort of like highlighted on the platform, et cetera. If they give it one of the like, you know, spots on the top of the rails or whatever. But, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it does take off and fair enough, I guess. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that should do it for our discussion of see how they run. When we come back, Scott's had a real marathon weekend of of movie watching with all the new releases. Um, you might have expected him to be talking about The Woman King if he was going to talk about other releases that came out this weekend. But no, Scott's very indie. He's not he's not about the big Viola Davis uh, epic films from Sony. He's about the smaller movies. So he's going to give you a rundown of a couple films he's also seen this weekend. And then we'll talk about uh, Anish Chaganti's next movie, which I think is fair to say has come – at us as a bit of a surprise, but we are very excited about. Stick around after the break. We'll talk about those things. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It's Scott. As mentioned before the break, Scott has really quick reviews for a couple more movies he saw this weekend. One, a sequel to a film that came out earlier this year, and, you know, my I said sequel. I guess it's technically a prequel. prequel yeah. Yeah, uh, a follow-up to a film that came out earlier this year. Um, and then the other was a Netflix movie. So, Scott, take it away. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, it's a big movie weekend. We've had, like, a couple of dead weekends, so to speak. You know, we've found stuff to review, but, like, um, you know, Barbarian wasn't a big release. Um, before that we had like Labor Day Weekend, like nothing basically came out. That's when we reviewed Hawk for Jesus. But um you know, the movies are back, Scott. And um the woman neither came. Of these
0: movies are big movies out. They're like barbarian sized movies, probably.
1: Yeah. If you follow movies, like it you know, they are they are notable. Well, not not maybe not necessarily the Netflix movie, but I was going to, you know, mention the woman King as well. Um, uh, even though I haven't yeah. seen it, that's it a big come out this week. That is, yeah. yeah, that is, you know, probably the biggest release, Gina Prince by directing Viola Davis and that action epic. I do still want to see it. Um, sure. But, uh, and it, it has been getting good reviews and good reception, but, um, you know, there's only so much I can do in a weekend. So, um, I wanted to see, see how they run. And the other movie Pearl that I saw in theaters, um, more. Um, Pearl is, of course, the follow-up to, as Scott mentioned, Ty West's X, um, which came out earlier this year, um, was announced in sort of a post credit scene to X that there was going to be this other movie which um, explored the backstory of Pearl, which is the old woman character um, in X, played by Mia Goth, in a dual role in X, um, and Mia Goth is back for this movie. Um, Scott, the first thing to say about this movie is it's not a horror movie. Um, People might be expecting that after X, and obviously Ty West has basically made only horror movies throughout his career, but this movie is more of like a straightforward drama. It it kind of owes... The the two films which came to mind when I was watching it, strangely enough, were A Star is Born and Joker, um, in the way that sort of the story plays out, but yeah, Mia Goth is back. She plays Pearl. Um, is it not a slasher, in... Scott? No, I wouldn't describe it as that. There are there are murders that happen, but I would not describe it as a slasher film. Um, I think it's more of a more of a drama. It really it's a one woman show is what it is, which we'll get so to. So Joker, but, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 kind of. Yeah, um, but you know, it's it's kind of about her background. She grows up on the farm. That is the setting for X. Um, mm-hmm. She. Um, is living with her parents. Her dad is an invalid, basically. He's gotten, um, it, it's a little unclear, but it seems like some sort of influenza or Spanish flu or something that basically he can't speak. He's in a wheelchair. He just basically, they have to feed him and everything. And um, her mother, who's a German woman, um, is very domineering and controlling and um, doesn't really want Pearl doing anything outside of their house and has a whole sort of mentality about um you know you you don't you don't try to get more than you have you know you just make the most of what you have um and pearl is not satisfied with this of course she wants to be a dancer um she sneaks away to the movies when she can when she can and sees um you know movies that often involve dancers um it turns out there's a auditions going on at her church nearby for a, a dance troupe that becomes sort of a big center point of her trying to achieve her goals in the movie. Mm-hmm. But um it's really just kind of about her um, desire to be a star in some variety um, and be be noticed, be loved, um, clashing with this environment that she is growing up in. And um, certain tendencies that we see in X, obviously, with this character, we see sort of the birth of those tendencies happening in Pearl. Um, mm-hmm. Scott, I mentioned this was a one-woman show, and honestly, the first thing I would say about this movie, and the first thing that anyone will probably be saying about this movie, is that Mia Goth is incredible in this film. Um, you know, in the same way that Joker was a real showcase for Joaquin Phoenix as a performer, um, this movie, much more so than X, and I think she was great in X. Obviously, you know, playing that dual role of Maxine, um, the the porn star and um pearl you know the older pearl wearing the heavy old age makeup you know she was great in both of those roles but that you know it, that's a slasher movie that's a horror movie this is more about her character and her performance and there are not really a whole lot of supporting performances in the film she's in basically every scene in the movie and the camera is fixed on her at one point for about seven straight minutes while she goes on a monologue um that is somewhat reminiscent of the one that we saw earlier this year that Rebecca Hall gave at Resurrection, but she definitely, it's definitely a hold my beer moment for that, uh, that monologue that Rebecca Hall had, but she's unbelievable in this movie. And the, the line that she walks with this character of, you know, between sympathy, it's a very complex character. I will say that. And, you know, this movie, which I think is the design, adds a lot more layers to what you see in X. And I have a feeling if you go back and watch X now, um, it's got it, it could be even more successful cuz i feel like the you know being able to trace the character a little bit more you're going to see shades there that uh, maybe you didn't the first time but um walks a very thin line here of like being you know sympathetic but also having this other side to her that comes out when she gets angry and when she gets frustrated with her situation and obviously you can you might be able to put together how that side manifests manifests itself but um yeah, I, I highly recommend this movie, Scott. It, it is on the same level as X, if not even a little better. I think they're great companion pieces for each other. Um, you know, it, it's it's wild. I, these are the types of movies I love because, again, we didn't know anything about, We you know, we weren't really looking at X as being a big movie or anything to come out this year. Um,
0: I mean, we barely even and, knew about it at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ty West is a noted director before this, but, like, I feel like this has really become his moment now, um, with these movies. But then X, you know, turned out to be one of my favorite films, still of the year. Then we get the second movie, also one of my favorite films of the year. And now I'm like, if he sticks the landing on this third movie, because we now know there's going to be a third movie, um, Mm -hmm. Maxine, which I assume is going to be sort of what Pearl was, but for the character that the other character that Mia Goth plays in X, um, you know, we could be talking about an all-time great horror trilogy, honestly. Um, because even though, you know, this movie is... I say it's not a horror movie, and it's not. But it could fit in this trilogy, right? Like, there are horrifying things that happen in the movie. Um, but, it, it, like I said, it owes much more to The Stars Born and Joker. And even The Wizard of Oz. There's some imagery which borrows from The Wizard of Oz um, in this movie. And it's actually shot in Technicolor. Um So... It looks really interesting, like looks really bright and, you know, sort of that oversaturated color, um, which adds a whole, you know, layer to the movie as well. So um, I I absolutely loved it.
0: Um, It was was actually shot in Technicolor or they edited it to, like, put a Technicolor filter? I I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it could have been an edit, but either way, the whole movie looks like it's in Technicolor. Um, Very cool. But anyway, yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, So I highly recommend this movie scott the other movie i watched um you know last night i was just the tennessee game was on uh, it was not a, an important game or anything we were playing akron so i just kind of wanted to have some pop-on material while the game was going on um and so i checked out this movie on netflix do revenge um, i've been seeing some stuff about it um one of my you know favorite musical artists that i've discovered maud latour she has a cover of the song kids in america that's featured in the movie so um that kind of piqued my interest as to what this movie is um it's directed by jennifer Caton robinson who i believe she made an i want to say maybe you saw this film scott called someone great that was on netflix a few yep. years back gina rodriguez um, rom-com yeah.
0: dramedy kind of mm-hmm. thing yeah
1: i think that's the only other thing she's directed but um this is a a throwback teen comedy um and it is, I will say, it, it is set in, uh, the, the cast of this movie is, if you if you are bothered by movies where the people look like they're too old to be in high school, then just don't even press play on that. That's like half of Netflix movies, though, I feel like, that are, like, set I, and in And that's the way. thing. Well, that's just half of high school movies. That's all of high school movies. Like yeah, I don't even true. care anymore. Like, I really don't care about this because it is just the new normal. But I know that there are some people who will still, you know, stomp their feet that Florence Pugh was playing an 11-year-old or whatever.
0: Okay, I mean, that, that's not the same thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean i guess but it, it to me it all falls in the same sphere but you know it, it happens with high school movies obviously too and ben platt ben, ben platt being uh and dear evan hansen obviously you know right. it, people had a lot of problems with it i think the problems are more with the storyline of the movie in combination with the fact that he is you know looking much older um more so, at least for me, than just the fact that he was someone very old playing um, a high schooler. But anyway, um, this movie um, is set, I believe, in California, but it's in a, it's in a you know upscale prep school. Um, Camila Mendez um, plays a girl named Drea, who early in the movie, she's kind of a queen bee of the school, but then um, goes through a crisis when her boyfriend leaks basically some revenge porn uh, of the two of them. Austin Abrams plays the boyfriend character. Um, of course, no one actually, she she ends up punching him. No one actually believes that he is the one who leaked the porn. He denies it. Um, and she's the one who ends up, you know, suffering consequences for it, um, gets suspended, um, and he, you know, receives no consequences. She ends up meeting, as they're entering their senior year, she ends up meeting a girl named Eleanor, played by Maya Hawke, who um, is uh, new to the school. She's transferred from another school. Um, they get to to talking and they realize that, um, you know, obviously Drea wants to get revenge on Austin Abrams' character, the boyfriend, and... Um, this is the
0: nice guy from Euphoria, right? Austin Abrams, isn't that? Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: okay. um, Ethan, yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and then Eleanor tells Drea a story about how there's a girl who also goes to the school named Carissa who... Um, out in Maya Hawk's character as being queer when Maya Hawk didn't want that to be known. So they it's, it becomes a strangers on a train setup, right? Of they both have someone that they want to get revenge on. So they decide they're going to work together sort of and do each other's revenge. Um this movie has a pretty strong cast, honestly. Um you know, we have mentioned some pretty big names there. Talia Ryder shows up in the movie as well. She plays the brother or the sister of Austin Abrams' character. Um, who ends up being kind of a love interest for Maya Hawks character. Um, who else am I forgetting is here. Rachel Matthews is in here for a couple scenes. Um, Sophie Turner like has a couple of she has almost what? a cameo in this movie. Sophie Turner is uh, in
0: this movie. She has
1: almost it's almost a cameo, but she's played oh, yeah. for comic relief and honestly is pretty funny. But um Damn. she shows up. Um I feel like there's one or two other people like it for a teen movie it has like a very like red hot teen cast for 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 the moment i mean obviously Camila mendez is big from riverdale Maya hawk people are really in on because of stranger things so um with those two alone like that that sort of tops the bill this movie is just a lot of fun like i really enjoyed watching this um i ended up getting sort of sucked in even though i was kind of it was kind of going to be pop on material it's def- it's definitely a throwback you know to mainly 90s teen, teen comedies i appreciate that it is a throwback to teen comedies that are actually good because i feel like so many nostalgic teen comedies are like oh it's like a john hughes movie in 2010 like easy a or something um and we shouldn't be nostalgic for those movies because they're bad um but this is you know this is nostalgic for like clueless like the style is very much like clueless jawbreaker obviously if you think about like the You know revenge murder type stuff that's going on here there's not really any murder heathers too as well of course um there's even a little bit of mean girls that gets wrapped in there um it takes some twists it has some plot twists which uh you know it's that type of movie right like i don't know if it all adds up or whatever but i was just like sure yeah it's fun we're having fun um and uh, so i went along with it it's pretty funny i think the chemistry between uh, camila mendez and maya hawk is is really excellent like um the two of them together um really drive the movie um like their sort of their sort of friendship and growing together growing apart that that connection it becomes a really fun sort of friendship type movie um and then twist happen, like I said, but I'm not gonna say too much. But I, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's definitely a very me movie, just like the way it's written, and the soundtrack obviously like has a lot of it. The soundtrack it has a combination of like some 90s songs. Um, but like you hear like Harvey Dager in there, and um, there's at least one other song I can't remember. Um, but then you hear a lot of like 2010s, like Olivia Rodrigo, Caroline Polachek, Phoebe Bridgers, like they're all on the soundtrack for this. Um, so it's a very- Estee
0: Haim did, did original music for this.
1: Yeah, and um, and Maya Hawke's character, before they make her over, right, when she's just wearing what she wants to wear, she wears like a Haim woman in music part two <laughs> t- tour shirt um, early in the movie. Um, so that's that's pretty funny. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, I mean, if I had seen it in theaters, I might not have enjoyed it as much. It's a, it's perfect for what it is. It's streaming. It's perfect
0: to watch simultaneously with a football game on a Saturday.
1: Teen comedy. Well, again, like I said, I ended up getting sucked more into the movie. I think um, it's a little bit too long, which you would expect from a Netflix movie. Like it yeah. comes in at about an hour and fifty-five minutes.
0: Well, um, that's not what I was expecting. Okay. They definitely
1: could have sh- shaved it off a little bit. Um, oh, but man. on the whole, on the whole, if you if you enjoy teen comedies um it's definitely a really fun one to watch um it's got a great cast like i said i think the cast is the is the strong part of the movie but it's it's well written like it is not a movie where you're like cringing because it sounds like it was written by like old people trying to write gen z dialogue or whatever like it it all sounds right and out of the mouths of these actors. it all sounds very right too. So um, yeah I, I'd say give it a shot. People probably won't enjoy it as much as I did. It is sort of in my wheelhouse, but I think it's a lot of fun.
0: Did you think Thor Love and Thunder was well written? Is it the same writer? Jennifer Caton Robinson wrote both?
1: Well, look, there are <laughs> studio studio
0: controls. Uh, I mean to be fair, like she that. co-wrote Love and Thunder with Tyka, I think. but yeah. Yeah, one thing I about Netflix you will
1: say though movie. is that they let their creators make what movies
0: they want so yeah we'll, um, we'll see how much longer they're, they're letting their creators do that but uh yeah, yeah it's true it, anyway, it works great I, for people like Martin Scorsese and, and well maybe for others but we'll
1: my my point is I would take this as more indicative of of Jennifer Caton Robinson's abilities than Thor love and Thunder.
0: now she just needs an editor apparently so there you go
1: yeah I guess so but anyway, definitely recommend both films. Depending on what you're, you know, into, um, you know, Pearl is a great option to go to theaters and see. Um, and if you just want something fun to throw on at home,
0: do revenge. You will get the job done. Uh only one other piece of news before we wrap up, and this can be a quick one, Scott. You know, our only ever unanimous best movie of the year in our in our first year of making the podcast, um, longtime listeners will know was Anish Shiganti's debut feature film that was called Searching. There are rumors this isn't like an entirely new piece of news, but there are rumors for a while that he was thinking about or maybe making a unrelated sequel, like just basically a follow up sort of in universe follow up, um, whatever that means. That's not that doesn't have John Chu as a um, or his daughter in the film as as characters in, in the movie. But he was going to make a, a sequel, a spiritual sequel, at the very least, to Searching. Um, and randomly, sort of at the end of last week, it sort of popped up that he has made this movie. It has finished filming, so it does have to go through post-production, et cetera. But it is going to be releasing next year in February. Um, and the film is titled Missing, and it stars Storm Reid and Nia Long, presumably as a sort of mother... A mother-daughter pairing, sort of like the father-daughter pairing with John Cho in, in the first film. And it I, again, I, I hesitate to say this is coming out of nowhere, Scott, but it's kind of coming out of nowhere that this is happening in like five, six months. And I think the Some Like It Scott podcast will have to ha- make February twenty-fourth a holiday. I'd say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like this kind of happened as well with. Run, which was Chiganti's last movie, just kind of like, oh, well, all of a sudden this is coming out. Uh, some of that was also yeah. a pandemic and it was COVID. kind of on stream. That
0: movie got dumped and, hard yeah. on Hulu, but yeah. Um, but it, it was a
1: solid film, actually. Oh, um, yeah. Sure. yeah, But yeah, Scott, I mean, we've, we've heard that there was going to be a Searching too for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I think we, you know, I always thought that it would be weird to continue the story somehow with with John Cho's character. If, if you're wanting it to be you know, a, another sort of screen heavy thriller like the first one was um and well, and so you know a, it
0: will be some new gimmick that
1: exactly yeah no, i i don't know that that i guess remains to be seen um yeah but you would think that they're going to do some sort of there's going to be some sort of quote-unquote gimmick again i was we obviously both sure. thought it was more than a gimmick in um in searching but
0: narrative um,
1: hook. right that that you know if you're going to make a a sequel or, or whatever you want to call this, a second Searching movie, it would be kind of weird to not have that if you're not going to have the characters if, from the first movie back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, I'm I'm excited about it. Um, I'm obviously a little bit skeptical that he can do something quite as strong as Searching was, which I think is just about, you know, as strong as, as a genre film can get. Um, but, you know, he didn't – I don't feel like he fell into a sophomore slump. Like, I thought Run was solid. Um, and, you know, I, I'm i not as familiar with a lot of Neil Long stuff or whatever, but Storm Reid, you know, is a hot-button actress right now from being on an Euphoria and some other stuff. So um, I think that, um, you know, this, this definitely – it obviously has a lot of potential and something we're going to be looking forward to. Um, February release date. I don't know does doesn't really scare me that much. Um,
0: it can't it can't be worse than an August release date, which was the original surging. so
1: yeah, yeah, that that is true. I-, I don't know i I almost liken this to like a Blumhouse movie or something you know, like a happy death day movies came out in February uh, or at least the second one did um sure i I would put this on the same level as like that sort of
0: b movie thriller almost like when when this kind of budget. small budget sort of bit movie is getting released in this time period it's it's less concerning than like i don't know insert dumpster fire mid-budget drama it's getting dumped it is just
1: for these movies it is just nice that they are getting released it will just it will take they will take whatever date they can get right so i don't i don't i don't don't read too much into it i guess i mean you know people know about searching most
0: people most people who've seen searching like searching this is when X no... came out last year, right? Didn't X come out like beginning of end of February, beginning of March? You might be right about that, yeah. But yeah, anyway, I mean,
1: Searching was by no means a hit, though. So um, I, I don't read too much into the release date. So, of course, I'm excited, Scott.
0: Just fun box office comparison, Scott, because box office has changed so much in the last few years. How much do you think Searching made at the box office? Forty million. Three million. Is that? And that's not very much, in your opinion. I mean, nowadays it would be. I think this is maybe the point you're trying to make. But. It made eighty million at the box office. Wow! Yeah.
1: So I mean, it, it was a size hit. I I guess for the size movie that it is. Like, I
0: mean, yeah, it, it cost less than a million dollars to make. Yeah, it yeah. cost like nine hundred thousand dollars to make the movie or something like that. It's wild. Um, yeah. Can you imagine if the? I mean, when a movie makes eighty million dollars at the box office today, it's like it's a massive success. It feels like. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think any of the movies we talked about on the podcast since Bullet Train have probably, are probably getting anywhere close to $80 million. Um, like, as cool as X and Pearl are, they're not getting anywhere near $80 million. Box I wonder out. how The Woman King is going to do, because it is getting a lot of positive buzz. Yeah, that, that one, I mean, that's a big release. I, I would expect that one probably could get across that mark.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it would be a huge But failure. But, you know, three years ago, four years ago, The Woman King would have easily gotten there. Yeah, it would have made $200 like, million dollars to the box
0: office. Probably, easily. Yeah. Vi- Viola Davis can bring a movie like has a couple other like major like John, Boyega's John movie, Boyega. John right? Boyega, Yeah. So I'm not saying John Boyega can open a movie. But when you put those those kinds of talent together with Gene and Prince Bythewood, people know who
1: he is. He was in one exactly the he's a recognizable face.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, Missing's happening February 24th, 2023. Absolutely no way in hell that movie makes $80 million at the box office. Sadly. <laughs> Um, wish it would, but no way. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll we'll see how good it is if it lives up to the double tens that Searching got way back in 2018. Fun, fun trivia, I guess, for the
1: podcast. What other movies have gotten a double ten? I know that Roma did.
0: Only only 2018 movies. After since then, we decided to never do a double ten again. After that,
1: <laughs> is that the? only Yeah, oh, I mean, I'm sure no. Somebody. Surely there's
0: been another one. Oh, we didn't. We we weren't brave enough to give into the Spider Verse double tens, but that also would have been 2018, so that would have been funny
1: that's true i didn't give into the spider i think
0: we both gave it 9.8 or something something stupid yeah. like that um i can remember. once upon a time in hollywood didn't get a 10. no i'm trying to think of like other it, would, it would, would now i don't know if i get i don't think i gave it a 10 the first time around but it would now 1917 did we give those movie that movie a 10 that's a good
1: that could have been i, a I 10. think i probably would have given that a 10
0: yeah i mean you know i would have given that a 10 so. yeah yeah maybe somebody can go back in the in the annals of history and listen to our nineteen seventeen review and tell us whether we got we gave it a double ten because neither Scott yeah. nor I are going to do that, so I'll yeah. rewatch nineteen seventeen um, though
1: fun task for the listeners, all five yeah. of them
0: you can listen at like two point five speed or something like that and just pause when you get to the you sure, can scrub yeah. through just scrub through for the ratings yeah <laughs> all right, Scott. that should do it for episode two hundred five of some like it Scott where can people find you? online at scarby dick and i'm at shelton 2013 on twitter letterbox serialized where you can find scott as well don't forget to also check out our podcast patreon at www.patreon.com slash media plug pods if you can support us over there we'd appreciate it if not that's okay you can still find us on apple podcasts spotify and wherever else you listen to your podcasts where we'd love it if you rated reviewed subscribe shared all that jazz and we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about see how they run we'll be back next week with with, where the don't worry darling runaway train finally reaches the station we'll be reviewing that um that is of course directed by olivia wilde starring florence pugh harry styles etc we hope you'll find you'll join us then but until then for scott harvey i'm scott Shelton. we'll see you next time